Welcome to the Performance Observatory podcast, the home of everyday ethnomusicology, where we discuss the music that we make and the music that makes us. Today's our second episode, so welcome back. Thanks for joining us. And we're going to be talking about two kinds of musicians. This is thanks to an interview that I saw with Stuart Copeland in April of 2021 on the Drum Channel. He said, quote, there are musicians of the eye and of the ear, end quote. And of course, he was referring to musicians of the eye as those who follow sheet music and rely on a conductor for the rhythmic instructions. So that means classical musicians. And of course, those of the ear are those of popular genres who don't necessarily rely on sheet music. And so... I found it to be a rather interesting line of delineation that he drew between classical and popular musics, and particularly the musicians. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there's really equal value to both. And there's also an unknown future to be talked about between the two, which I think you might find as interesting and disturbing as I do. Let's just talk about this first of all. Classical musicians are obviously the musicians of the eye. They have to read the notes and follow everything written by the composer right in front of them. And although they are playing in mass, they're not necessarily paying attention to what the people around them are doing. Their job is to stay on task with the sheet that is in front of them and the conductor that is in front of them. It's very specific and everything is is very expected, but that doesn't mean that there isn't any kind of emotion in their playing. It's, I think, more nuanced as we progress in popular culture to discern the emotive component in playing classical instruments and the classical pieces that are played, but it is certainly there and and very required. The one thing that I've always loved about classical music is that it's, it's keeping history alive. With that, we still have a touchstone of sorts to a collective history in whatever was in fashion during the time frames of of the music that is being played, whether it's the masters or the Baroque period, operas, whatever the case may be, it all speaks to the values of the time, which of course were just as fluid as the values of all the times since that. And that's something that is worthy of preservation and something that classical musicians do on a daily basis. In addition, orchestras are starting to incorporate modern instrumentation more and more in their work. And and that's because they're starting to make performances of current classical music. This is where there's a a little bit of 
leeway and license that I'm taking right now because what we see as classical music by instrumentation is what we use through movie theme songs and the musicality that runs through the more heavily laden emotional movements in film and more and more orchestras are latching on to that for public recognition and to capture what people are enjoying in the moment. In talking about those that are musicians of the ear, conversely, we understand that that means that they are listening to what's going on around them, the people that they are playing with. And it leads to improvisation, jams, and just overall creation of new music, which is not something that most classical musicians are doing, particularly in the moment of performance. Whereas specifically with jazz and the blues, every performance has improvisation in, in it. And so that makes it naturally a creative force all in its own. It's ironic that improv and jamming, in my estimation, they depend heavily on music theory. I think many of us have a grand assumption that written music is the basis of music theory, but it's really not. Music theory is something that is easily known but just not easily written. It's like any other language. You can learn how to speak it and still not necessarily know how to write it or to read it. And so understanding the usage of tenses, of verbiage, of all the things that go into creation and expression through music can be greatly utilized by those that are not concerned or feel it necessary to learn how to read or write musical notation. That's kind of how our popular culture, our popular music has been able to really seemingly hit the gas pedal on development. How seemingly swiftly we have gone from the classical age through to uh, the early jazz age, and then, of course, to the big band age and the blues age and the way that they commingled along with country and became so many different genres, of course, apexing at rock and roll, and it's spreading out from there. That's all happened in a relatively swift time frame. And that I find to be very interesting. And I don't know how much of that hangs on technology in being able to spread and share different musical genres so quickly and thoroughly, whereas classical music was dependent on being shared through sheet music and being able to read it in order to be able to perform it. Whereas our modern forms of music are able to rely on just simply hearing it and recreating it from there. With that, our technology and, dare I say, the 
economy of education being through doing and not necessarily learning all the skills that were necessary in previous ages, like reading and writing sheet music, has allowed popular musicians to evolve more quickly than previous iterations of musical styles in particularly the classical genres. It's something worthy of of discussion. It certainly is. And I'd be interested to hear many people's take on that since it's a little bit outside of my own wheelhouse. But there's also another qualification with our modern popular culture that also forces the hand of creation and therefore evolution. And that's just simply our general restlessness and rebelliousness. It's almost always a coming-of-age event where people come together with the same mindset, the same experiences, and dare to express themselves in the same way and create the same community. And that's really the kind of thing that brought about such things as punk, as rap, as I dare say things like metal, death metal specifically, such as that. And those are all born of experimentation, improvisation, jamming, and collaboration. That brings me to the concept of the merger of classical and popular music. And this is something that is far down the line. And I just don't know how far down the line. It's been quite the experience to hear the music of my childhood go from being part of popular music radio stations repertoire to being part of the classic music repertoire and then going to the quote-unquote oldies (laughs) repertoire and so how long is it before our society our cultures start labeling various aspects of popular music as classical music is it going to be a hundred years down the line is it going to be 200 years down the line when is it that the lines will blur and somebody will speak of Etta James as a beautiful blues and jazz songstress or will they put her in line with an opera singer Will that recognition and and that merger happen at some point further on down the line when all of us are stardust? And it's really, it's really somebody else's idea that I'm putting forth at this moment because I, I watched um, one of the Star Wars movies with a friend and there it was, the whole concept right there where, you know, the, the Enterprise is going into battle and they're looking to ring out with a distraction, you know, worthy of the ages. And so, of course, they're going back into the battle history of the United States and employing tactics that were used against uh, Manuel Noriega and using excessively loud music and obnoxiously loud music on their attack. And they decide to bust out some classical music 
in the form of the Beastie Boys and listening to the song Sabotage in that context was hilarious and it was meant to be hilarious. It was it was meant as a a joke, but it's definitely something to think about. When is it that the genres that we know now are going to be considered classical music and what are they going to be replaced by that is categorized as popular music? What are these forms of music going to morph into? And it's something that we're never going to have an answer to because we just won't see that day unless we figure out the technology to go back and forth to Mars. But when we go through this process that we have that we call uh, aging and we see the transitions that we're all going to go through from being the popular stuff to being the classic stuff to being the golden oldies, there's that next step that I hope by definition happens once a generation has come and therefore gone, long, long gone, that we become classical. Is, is the instrumentation that we define as classical going to change along with it? It's something interesting to contemplate. And I don't know, well, I do know, I don't think the music industry is really giving that any food for thought because it seems that genre making is something that is done by force. The younger generations will, of course, come up with their own ways to label their musical creations. And so therefore, they'll also come up with a way to define older generations, particularly as, as time moves on. But it's something that I kind of want to stick in everyone's head. What song or what artist would just simply throw you for a loop to hear somewhere in the future, three, four, five hundred years from now, being referred to as classical music? I, I don't mean to go all, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but at some point in time, could there be a merger of Mozart and Jimi Hendrix? Could we see performances where a piece by Vivaldi goes first and then next thing you know, it's here comes the sun, little darling, here comes the sun. It's all right. <laughs> I... I'm freaking myself out a little bit here, <laughs> but it's entertaining to me to contemplate this because it's the essence of what music really is. It's living, breathing, being born, aging, and unlike us, I don't think any genre of music is ever really going to die. There may be some that are lost, but it, the genre itself will never die. And that's a different conversation for us to have because that begs the question, if genres aren't lost, but not all musics of that genre survive, what will make it be something that lives on? What performers, what songs 
in various genres will be remembered infinitum. I have my ideas and I'm sure you have yours and they're all going to be based on our own personal bias and that's fine. I don't know that Las Vegas wants to start taking bets on this because we're talking way into the future. I don't even know that we'll have the same definition of currency in that future, but think about it. Seriously, think to yourself, the the genre of music that you cherish most, the, the one that you came up with, the one that you were a big fan of in the ages between like 10 and 22, who in the pack of all those musicians that make up that genre could possibly, hundreds of years from now, be referred to as classical? What songs in that genre will be transferred into sheet music and played by people who can only play it by reading along and watching a conductor. I mean, granted, classical musicians do not need the sheet music, but they do know that they need to follow that sheet music. They can play by muscle memory as well as any other, but their job is to follow the page. So I'm just wondering... What songs of the last hundred years are going to be still played hundreds of years from now through people who rely on their eye and their conductor to play a piece together? And what is it going to be created by those who play by ear? What are they going to do with what we leave behind? with the influences that we leave for them. That's our glorious second episode. Thanks to Mr. Stuart Copeland. Next time on episode three, we're going to be talking about the difference a venue can make. It's a little excursion that I was able to do before the pandemic struck in 2020. So this is all research from 2019. Tune in for that. And thanks very much for being with us. Thanks again for sitting down and listening to the Performance Observatory podcast.